0: Once you're done playing a sport, the reality is you have an audience of fans, media, and companies, potential sponsors, and in most cases, you're forgotten after, and I just think that is a bit of a travesty in a lot of ways.
1: Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio podcast over 13 years, 400 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years. And on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. My guest on this week's show, Jeremy Darlow, the author of the book, Athletes Are Brands Too. It's his follow-up to his successful book, Brands Win Championships. Jeremy is the former director of marketing for Adidas Football and Baseball. He's worked with Aaron Rodgers, Chris Bryant, Kanye West, and Snoop Dogg, along with a plethora of other big schools that Adidas has worked with. Really interesting book. If you're interested in social media, if you're interested in how to build a brand. This is a conversation you're not going to want to miss. I'm joined in studio by my executive producer, Brian Griggs, who is back from, uh, being ill. He got the flu like nobody's business. Happy 2018, Griggs. Yeah. But, uh, it smacked you in the face to start I, the year.
2: I was talking to my wife last night. I think I've worked like three days in 2018 so far <laughs> between the holidays and everything else. It's like, man, it's, it's good to be back. It was, it was brutal. It was probably the worst headache I've had for three straight days. And, could not look at light and TV. It couldn't do anything. I just had to lie in bed. It was not good.
1: Well, and even from your your sickbed, you produced the yeah, show exactly. with Rich Kleiman last yeah. week, Kevin a good Durant's <laughs> business partner. So uh thanks for doing that. Boy, what a start to 2018. Just with the NFL alone, um, it's going to be an interesting Final Four. We've got Patriots versus Jags, and then we've got Vikings versus Eagles, and three of the four teams have— Quarterbacks that are, you know, if not B level, C level quarterbacks, but they're great stories. They have good defenses, and then of course you've got the old mainstay, Tom Brady. I think a lot of people are interested to see what the TV ratings are. Do you find these matchups compelling? Will you be watching the conference championships next weekend? For, for sure, I've been into it a lot, and I think just for that fact of the rookie quarterbacks, new first
2: playoff games, you know, with uh, Vikings guy and some, uh, uh, Ke- yeah, Ke- can't think of his name
1: case keenum case keenum yeah i already stuff
2: yeah but uh yeah very interested it's fun to have you know three teams that aren't the regulars in there and of course tom brady looks phenomenal so it's going to be tough to knock the patriots
1: off again i'm sure but uh yeah it's been fun i love it the other element that's really interesting that's never come into play before for the nfl is minnesota is hosting the super bowl the vikings are in the nfc championship game the vikings could play a home super bowl <laughs> which has never happened before in the history of the Super Bowl. So that's impacted things on a number of levels. One, you know, from the fans' standpoint. Two, you know, the NFL usually goes in a month in advance to start setting up at the venue where the Super Bowl is. They haven't been able to start setting <laughs> up yet because the Vikings just hosted that Miracle in Minneapolis game this past weekend, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh it's got this ripple effect, and it's not your normal playoffs. We are going to see... How strong the brand of the NFL is. Can they survive? I mean, think about this. What if it was like Jacksonville and Minnesota or Jacksonville and Philadelphia in the Super Bowl? You know, I think they could see a decline of 5 million viewers, which is a lot from the last year's Super Bowl. And, you know, obviously there have been protests with the NFL this year. Ratings have been down anyways. It's going to be interesting to see, but I can guarantee you this. NBC executives are on their hands and knees praying that Tom Brady... And Bill Belichick and the Patriots are in the Super Bowl because they are that polarizing team that everyone wants to watch.
2: Well, we've talked about it too. I mean, with NFL especially, the big markets win. So obviously NFL wants the big markets in there with Tom Brady and Belichick and, and the Boston market, New England. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the whole, there's a lot of different storylines. I, I love the Minnesota potentially home game. That, I mean, think about the city for Minnesota. Crazy. It's, it's going to go nuts. And that, I mean, that stadium's phenomenal. It looks great on TV. It's going to be a beautiful Super Bowl. But, uh, how fun would that be if it's a home game for Minnesota? I think that's going to be a fun storyline, and yeah, it's just a, you know, it is fun having different teams and different angles
1: and different stories, and it's going to be fun to see how it comes out. So NBC is charging $5 million for a 30-second ad, and a lot of people go, oh my God, $5 million? That's not even the start, people. If you have, like, a celebrity in your commercial, you're paying them a few million dollars. You're paying a few million dollars to produce your commercial, so when it's all said and done, you could be spending $10 million or more on a 30-second spot. Now, if... There isn't a certain audience in the Super Bowl, Griggs. There's make-goods. So they have to hit a certain rating, a certain audience, or else NBC's got to do make-goods. But NBC is prime for a a multi-billion dollar next few months because you've got Super Bowl on NBC, and then Griggs, four days after Super Bowl, they roll into Winter Olympics. Right. So... You want to talk about ad revenues coming in like an avalanche? Yeah. NBC, if things go well, is primed to make a load of money.
2: Yeah, and we've talked about how Olympics too. We we always enjoy watching those, and I love the winter games because there's so many just cool sports and it's uh it's fun. But uh, you're right. I mean, NBC could could do really well in this, and like you were saying too, with the the five million just airtime, that's the cheapest part of the of the ad. I mean, I'm in production, and TV production is uh, astronomical, especially right. when you get celebrities and paying for music. You buy if say if you. Put an Imagine Dragon song in your, in your thing. They'll make 500 grand just on the song. I mean, even, and that's, I mean, that's small. Some of them will be more than that. Wow. Just to use their song. So, I mean, it tells you how much, you know, I bet, I bet those big ads are in 15 million probably by the time they're done.
1: Now, there is a rumor going around. So we know Justin Timberlake is doing the halftime show, but there's a rumor going around that Pantatonics may be doing the backup <laughs> for JT while he's on stage. And Pantatonics, uh, for our listeners, if you don't know, Griggs can do a beatbox like nobody's (laughs) business. He probably won't do it now. But when we were in New York and walking the streets (laughs) of New York, I mean, it was like we had pentatonics with us because, and and Brad Kinzer, our staff photographer, is, he needs some work. (laughs) He definitely needs some work. You're going to need to work Uh, with him. But you, my man, (laughs) you've got it down. So, uh, we'll see. Maybe you can make 500 yeah. grand from being the backup.
2: i got to call up JT and say, hey, you need a beatboxer on your uh, track there?
1: <laughs> Whenever my daughter and I see or hear beatboxing now in commercials or anything, we're like, oh, Griggs could do just as well, if not better. I, I appreciate that. So instead of Pentatonix, Pantatonix is his group. Yeah. And <laughs> if you need a really good beatboxer, Griggs is the guy to oh, man. turn to.
2: I'll take that. It is fun. And we had a fun time in New York. We had some good looks. People, we were thinking, me and Brad, you know, we should have just walked down with the, the hat, you know, holding out and see if we can make some money. But, uh, next time, next New York trip, we, we'll step it up a little more.
1: Again, you alone, yes, I'd put money in the hat. <laughs> with Brad, he, he definitely needs some work. So I'd keep him about 10 paces. That'll work. Behind you. Uh, how about that miracle in Minneapolis? I don't know that I've ever seen a game end like that. And, you know, I've got a few thoughts. Number one, uh, wow, what an ending to a game. The Vikings social media people at Vikings did just a phenomenal job capturing the shock of the fans and even of the players with that last-second walk-off touchdown win by the Vikings. The other thing that I have to bring up since I'm someone who works with athletes, I talk to them about their dealings with the media. Marcus Williams is the player for the Saints who totally botched that play, right? He he basically whiffed on a tackle. After the game, it would have been so easy for him to say, you know what, I'm hiding in the locker room, I'm ducking out early, I'm not facing the media, this is a crushing blow, this is a play that will define my career. He didn't do that. He cried. I probably would have too. But yeah. that guy faced the media. And I'll tell you what, to any athlete who listens to this show, whether you're high school, college, or pro, Marcus Williams should be a role model to you for facing the music. I see Russell Westbrook who, you know, gets ejected from games or has a bad game. He's the reigning NBA MVP. This guy ducks out of the locker room. He won't do interviews. He pouts. Yep. Marcus Williams was an example for all athletes as to how you conduct yourself as a professional. And part of being a professional is your obligation to standing up and facing the media and facing the music that exists with that. That is a guy I will always root for. It was so great to see everyone from Steve Gleason to Drew Brees to the Saints organization to uh, billboards and and things being taken out in New Orleans. Instead of crushing Marcus Williams, they've propped him up. They've supported him. He's a good player. He's going to make good plays in the future. Don't let that play define you. And so far, it looks like he's got a really good attitude about it. The people around him have been supportive. So, you know, something so silly that you look at and you go, wow, this guy just cost him the game. It sucks. But at the end of the day, Griggs, it's a game. This is not life or death. He didn't kill someone. No one lost their life because he gave up a touchdown. But with that being said, I think what we'll see At the end of games from now on, like why not have a line of two or three people who are literally guarding the goal line and who stand back at the end of game in game situations and say, you know what, if that happens again, we're going to have two or three defenders at the goal line who in a worst case scenario are going to stop someone from getting in because that was the only way that the Vikings could have won is a walk off touchdown, right? They could have gotten out of bounds and yes, kicked a field goal but that was the only way they could have really lost immediately so it'll be interesting to see at the end of games now if defensive coordinators change their strategies to have guys back at the very you know corner of the end zone to say you're not getting in you're not crossing this line and we're not losing this way in the future but again Marcus Williams stand up guy yeah i agree with you and it, talking about how nobody was back to cover that like
2: you could see it in Diggs face when he turned around he's like there's shocked. nobody here. Yeah. I'm walking in to right. win this game. Yeah. And that was phenomenal. But And, and you're right, too. It, it's a 60-minute game. I mean, it all comes down to that play, yes, but you can't blame the loss on him. He missed the tackle, sure. Initially, they lose the game because he misses the tackle. There's so many parts in the game that, oh, if I would have made this sack here, if we would have made this pick here, made this touchdown here. But I agree. He He handled it so the right way, and he's going to have, and he's already seen so much respect come his way just because of how he handled it. So props to him.
1: Uh, the NFL coaching carousel is in full motion on our show next. We'll have uh, a breakdown of who the coaches are, but it looks like Josh McDaniels is going to go to the Colts. It looks like Matt Patricia is going to go to the Lions, and it looks like uh, Pat Shermer is going to go to the Giants. The interesting thing here, Griggs, is Bill Belichick may lose his offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, and his defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, mm-hmm. who, by the way... Uh, if you haven't already done an interview with those guys, you can't do an interview until after the AFC Championship game this weekend. But, you know, there have been all these conversations about Belichick. Is the dynasty with the Patriots over? Are Kraft Belichick Brady gonna break up? I don't think it's gonna happen. But, it's going to be interesting to see, does Belichick say, I lost my OC and my DC, maybe it's time to go somewhere else, and oh, by the way, John Gruden got 10 years, $100 million. If he got that, what could I get? Maybe he does get ownership in a franchise like Gruden didn't get. Or does he say, you know what, I'm Bill Belichick, I'm going to go out and have a, a line of people wanting to be my OC and DC, I'm staying here as long as Brady's here, and we're going to keep on keeping on. I don't know what's gonna happen with the games this weekend. I, I, I'm gonna, you know, not go out on a limb. I'm gonna take the Patriots, cause I think Tom Brady in these games, it's really hard to bet against him. Um but in the other game, I'm gonna take the Eagles just cause they're at home, and I think we're gonna have an Eagles, uh, Patriots Super Bowl. I'm really sad that Carson Wentz isn't healthy because yeah. he had an MVP caliber season, and I would have loved nothing more than to see Brady and Wentz. But I'm not going to be surprised if Jacksonville or Minnesota get in, because it's been a year of parity, Griggs. I mean, you know, the Patriots have been very, very good. But these other teams have good defenses, and on any given day, uh, they're able to prop up their quarterback. Last thing this week, Chris Paul returns to L.A. with the Clippers. Uh, he goes in with his new team, the Rockets. And Griggs, there's, like, confrontations on the court. Uh, Trevor Ariza, Blake Griffin, kicked out of the game. Supposedly after the game, uh Clint Capella knocks on the front door of the Clippers' locker. And then there's a side door, a back door, that only Chris Paul knows about because he played at the Staples Center for all these years. And he, James Harden, Ariza, and uh one other player, they go and try and get into the Clippers' locker room. And they're going after Blake Griffin and Austin Rivers. It's kind of a laugh because I tweeted out, Every NBA team has their own security, right? So, like, forget about the building security. They have their own full-time security that follows the players everywhere. And then if you're James Harden or Chris Paul, you have your own personal bodyguard. So the chances of something off the court, like, on the court, anything could happen, right? Like, you could have fisticuffs. But that's probably going to be broken up pretty quickly by the coaches and the team and the referees. Off the court... These guys have so much security around them now. If one person threw a punch, like it would be over quickly because security would jump in, whether it's team security or personal bodyguards. But it's just funny because I think the NBA is going to issue some fines here because they're going to be like, Hey, Rockets, you can't try and get into the opposing team's locker room. Like this is West Side story and you're going to go in and, you know, have a battle. You're going to have a rumble in the locker room. And then, you know, Blake Griffin with the Clippers is like, Hey, we didn't do anything wrong. We were in our own locker room. They came into our territory. There's obviously bad blood here at the root of this between CB3 and the Clippers, and the Clippers, who are still there, feel like he wronged them by leaving, um, but... It's an interesting story to follow, and we'll see what happens next. All right, coming up next, Jeremy Darlow, the author of the book Athletes Are Brands 2. He is the former director of marketing for Adidas football and baseball. He's written a really great book for athletes and really for anyone who's trying to build their brand via social media. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., Today's sports fans expect strong, fast, mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Jeremy Darlow. He is the author of the book Athletes Are Brands 2. It's a follow-up to his very successful book, Brands Win Championships. He's the former director of marketing for Adidas football and baseball. He's worked with such luminaries as Chris Bryant, Aaron Rodgers, Kanye West, and Snoop Dogg. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Darlow. Jeremy, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you?
0: I'm good, Brian. Thanks for having me.
1: So as I told you the first time around, uh, Brands Win Championships, I loved the book. It's such a practical book, and I've dug into Athletes or Brands, too, and I love this book just as much. So congratulations on doing a second book. Before we dig into some of the details of the book, why don't you tell me what was the impetus to write this second book?
0: Yeah, so I used this as a response for a lot of people to ask me sort of a similar question and it's a bit of a scary thought, but I always tell people that I think marketers have some of the biggest opportunity to impact the world than maybe anybody uh, as far as industries go and as far as professionals go. And the reason I think that is because marketers understand psychology. We understand how to change minds through storytelling. And I think there are uh, a lot of us that can use our education and our experience for good and I've always thought about what I can do with my own experience and my own ed- education and, and um, skill set and I, I obviously I focus on athletics I've combined brand marketing and, and sports those are my two passions and within athletics I've looked at for, for years now athletes as a space where marketers can truly help I look at these young men and women that come out of high school, and, and they're they're taught to do one thing. They're taught to, you know, throw a football or shoot a basketball or hit a baseball, and they're they're in a lot of ways they're meant to uh, focus on that. And I think the people around them suggest that they focus on that. But I think there's an opportunity to also broaden that perspective and use that that celebrity that's coming from athletics for these young men and women to actually build equity into another space. So it it was really important for me, especially coming off the the first book, to do something that I thought could actually help in in some way.
1: So let me read some stats from the book because this is, I think, the crux of the book. So one point you make is that your time in pro sports is short. So 4.8, the average career length for an NBA player, 5.6 for Major League Baseball, 5.5 for NHL. 3.5 for NFL and 3.2 for Major League Soccer. You also point out that your chances of going bankrupt after a professional career are high. 78% of NFL players go broke in their first two years out of the league and 60% of NBA players go broke within their first five years of the league. So one of the points you make in the book, Jeremy, is extending the relevance of an athlete via social media and extending that brand. So essentially, while you have the spotlight on you as a pro athlete, or even a marquee college athlete, build those platforms. So when you're done, you have those as revenue sources, and you still have that platform built up in the spotlight. Is that kind of the crux of of the book?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I, I, the thing for me is, you, and I've I've written it in the book, and I've sort of coined it in, the, in some way. But you have this window of influence as an athlete, and I think that is the, the point of what I'm trying to get to. Once you're done playing a sport, the reality is you have an audience of fans, media, and companies, potential sponsors, that truly, uh, the reality is, you know, we care about you while you are playing sports, and in most cases, you're forgotten after, and I just think that is, is it's unfair and, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a travesty in a lot of ways because I think there's, there's so much drop after a career ends. So my hope is that athletes can take the lessons from the book and see that there's a massive opportunity to use the platform they have while they're playing sports in order to build equity in, into another area.
1: So the case for being on social media, I'll give you two different camps. A is the Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady camp. We saw both of them in the twilight of their careers get on to social media. Tom Brady's still playing, obviously, but he's late into the game of social media. Then you've got the camp of Peyton Manning and Phil Mickelson. Neither one of them have ever gotten on to social media. So I guess my question to you, Jeremy, is if you're working with these athletes how do you take someone like Peyton Manning or Phil Mickelson and say, "Look, you're already making millions of dollars. You're already relevant. Here's why you also need to be on social media."
0: Well, if I'm honest, I'm not writing this book for Phil Mickelson or, or Peyton Manning. I, I think they've they've done their jobs. They are, through their own success, going to do just fine, uh, whether or not they read this book. Peyton Manning's on television constantly. It seems like these days through his commercials, and he's done an incredible job of, of bridging the gap between uh, sort of sports culture and pop culture. But the the, the reason I wrote this book, and again, the, the point for me is to help those 98% of athletes that don't make it to the pro pro level. So that's, that's the stat that I think is so staggering that I don't think we, we understand as fans. I don't think we understand maybe as, as an industry and I certainly don't think the athletes look at that as them. You know, I think from our days as, as, as young men and women, we never thought we were. We thought we were invisible, right? We, we, invincible. We, we thought we, we weren't going to be one of those statistics in any whatever lesson that we were being taught. And I think athletes think the same way. They don't recognize that that just 2% of them are going to actually make the pro level. So for me, the book is about helping those 98% of athletes that aren't going to make it. And yeah, I would love, and you certainly can, and you absolutely should, if you do make the pro level, if you make the NBA, the NFL, the, the major leagues, et cetera, these lessons are going to help you further your brand. But I don't, pro- I probably don't need to help you at that point. You're, you're doing just fine. Who, who I would like to help are those, those young men and women that may not make the professional level. Help them in high school, in college, set themselves up, or maybe even if they just barely make the NBA or the NFL, et cetera, help them go off and still have a great career in in another area of of passion.
1: So other than reading your book, which, again, very detailed, super (laughs) helpful— But, you know, what I've learned with sports information departments, they're not very sophisticated. They really don't focus on just a few of the star athletes to help them launch their social media or do they care about their brand unless it's like a Heisman campaign or, or something like that, a wooden award uh, candidate. So if I'm a high school student or a college student and I'm playing sports and I'm listening to this interview right now, other than going and reading your book, what would the advice be to get them building their brand on social media?
0: There's the, the, the crux of everything that I've done and I will continue to do from brand perspective starts and stops with a positioning statement. Now there's, there's a lot of work that goes into establishing that. And what I mean by a positioning statement is a single sentence It's not a tagline. All it is is just identifying what makes you unique in a given industry, whatever that industry may be. And for me, athletes should look at both in sports and out of sports. I think Damian Lillard is a perfect example. He is using his NBA platform right now to establish equity and celebrity in music. If he was not doing so well in basketball – he wouldn't have that opportunity, right? So that that's the first step. And his positioning statement—this, these are my words, not his. His positioning statement becomes the only NBA athlete that's fusing hip hop and and basketball. He's the one guy that's doing it, and, and there may be other guys doing it, but they're not doing it at a level that people are paying attention to. So he's he's been able to differentiate himself, right? And that is the step that he is going to be able to take and use to find success after. Basketball, so that that's the most important thing. Again, obviously, to your point, if they're not going to read the book, the book outlines how to actually come up with that positioning statement. But if they're not going to read the book, at the very least, think about what makes yourself different. Think about what's authentic to you, and build against that, and be consistent with a message that people will start to identify with.
1: Let's dig in on that for a minute. The importance of being authentic. Whether it's athletes or executives, I'm sure like you, I have examples of people that I've seen virtually on social media, LinkedIn, whatever it may be. And then you meet them in person and it's like, whoa, this is a totally different person than the one that's on social media. How do you encourage people to be authentic so that they're the same person you would meet in person versus the person on social media?
0: Well, I I will say it's a lot easier said than done. You know, I, I think it's it's a scary, scary place uh, to be on social media. And if, if we are all authentic on social media, I, I think we're all going to get in trouble at some point, right? We're, we're all going to criticize and, and be upset about something. And uh, these days, those words, if you don't write them in the exact way that they are, they're going to be taken in, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble, even if you didn't mean it that way. So I know for a fact that people are apprehensive, and you're going to meet them in person, and they're going to they're going to be different because of that that scare that, that we all sort of have in us. But quite honestly, if you look at some of the the most successful people uh, that are out there right now that have used social media to get there, it, it would it would seem that they are being authentic, or they are using the sort of polarization. Uh, tactic and approach in, in order to, to generate that awareness and that, uh, that influence. Uh, but I understand, I understand when people are scared about being themselves on social. Uh, it's just the, the world that we live in right now. It's, it's not, uh, it's not the safest of places sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I have a firm called Everything is on the Record and I literally sit in locker rooms with pro athletes and we talk about their social media. We talk about their dealings with the media. But so many of them want to take a stand on political or non-sports issues right now. We've seen people like LeBron James and Steph Curry and Malcolm Jenkins and Quan Bolden take stands, but it is a risky game because if you do, 50% of the people are going to go, yes, good job using your platform to bring awareness to this. And the other people are going to say, shut up and stick to sports. And it does influence how people view you and what your brand is with them. So- do you ever have athletes who say to you, "Hey, Jeremy, like I want to use my platform to speak out against something that's important to me, but I don't know if I should do it"?
0: Yeah, honestly, it, it, it's it's going to be a personal decision. I, I, there is no one blanket philosophy on it for me. And I actually wrote this in the book: if if you're going to speak out on something, make sure it is authentic, and make sure that you have the track record behind you or you're going to build the track record that suggests that you truly do believe those words and you're not just using the space to create conversation because I think some people can be the uh, sort of um, convicted of that right it, it's, you're just jumping into an, a conversation in order to create awareness for yourself because if, if you look at the track record where were you you know 10 15 years ago and I think that's the point that I make to everybody: is if you believe in it, speak on it. That's absolutely fine. Be be cautious with your words. Be be um, practiced before you speak, but speak on it. If you believe in it, then do it. You know, and and that's that's the same thing for me in writing this book. I don't know that this is going to be the most beloved book in some circles because I am saying that athletes need to look at themselves. They need to take the the opportunity that they have as athletes in the moment to build their own brands. And I know brand building for, again, certain circles within sports is, is, is sort of looked down upon because it's not the front of the Jersey anymore. It's the back of the Jersey. And I think that's outrageous. I think that's ridiculous. The window for these young men and women is so small. If they don't look at the, the back of the Jersey and they look, they don't look at themselves, then what happens when they're gone? What happens when that career ends? And where are you then? Are you still helping them out? Are you still, you were so supportive of them being an athlete now and you want them to to be focused on winning and and for the team. Okay, well, what happens when they're 45 years old? Are you there then? Because if you're not, then don't come to me and tell me that it's not okay for these athletes to build their brands right now so that they are successful in 15, 20 years. It's the same kind of idea there. I, I go through that all the time in my own world because I get pushback from people and That was one of the reasons why I was so excited to write this book. Someone pushed back on me on Twitter about that same subject and, hey, hey, I have a point of view and not everyone's going to agree with it. Athletes are going to have a point of view. Not everyone's going to agree with it. But that's life. You know, as long as you're you're careful and you're respectful in how you communicate, I say go for it.
1: We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Ergon Office, who manufacture beautiful, high-quality electronic standing desks. Co-founded by former hockey player Sam Finn, Ergon Office is on a mission to inspire people to live a more active lifestyle because the human body just wasn't meant to be sitting 13 hours a day. When I'm not in the recording studio, I have a home office and I like to alternate standing and sitting throughout the course of the day. If I don't, my back gets sore or it'll lock up. I also get an energy boost every time I stand and work or talk on the phone. Studies have proven alternating between sitting and standing leads to increased productivity and a reduction in muscle disorders like back pain or carpal tunnel, which costs society close to $50 billion annually in lost productivity and medical bills. What I love the most about Ergon Office is that the desks adjust using an embedded touchscreen, allowing you to switch seamlessly between a sitting and standing position in seconds. You can even save your preferred heights for more convenience. Ergon Office's height-adjustable desks are available in Canada and the United States. Change how you work and be healthier in the process. Ergon Office has beautiful, high-quality desks with a unique design, and they couldn't be easier to adjust. Their customer service is great, too, so they'll help you find the best desks that work for your needs. I'm a really big fan of this company. Check them out at ergonoffice dot com backslash SBR and use the promo code SBR ten to get ten percent off any standing desk. That's ergonoffice E R G O N O F I S dot com backslash S B R promo code SBR ten. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Erganoffice. Now back to our conversation. A great example you give in the book of an athlete who took his time in the spotlight, built his platforms, and has extended his relevance, despite the fact that he doesn't play in the NFL, is Tim Tebow. And I just thought that you did a really nice job of outlining, you know, you had like a blind test of Tim Tebow versus some other athletes who have better resumes and who are playing in the NFL. And Tim Tebow has a bigger social following than those athletes. So, you know, it's a great example of if you use the opportunity while you're in the spotlight to build those social platforms, you extend your relevance.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's about building a community of followers while you can, while you are relevant to your point. And I think that's the, the lesson that we have to realize. And it's a bit of a harsh one, but if you don't recognize that once you stop playing a sport the majority of people just don't care about you anymore. And and that's, it's it's a terrible thing to say, and I, I it makes me sad to think that that's the case, but that's the world that we live in. And I people tell me all the time, they get upset with the phrase, you know, judging a book by its cover. But for me, it's like, we do that. Whether you like it or not, that's what happens. People judge books by their cover. So rather than trying to change the way that the site the psychological dynamic is for human beings, just make a better cover. That's, that's what's going to affect your life. Right. And right now we need to recognize that athletes are are losing all of their relevance when they leave because of the world that we live in. And rather than just being angry about that, I, I say, let's, let's take the platforms right now. Let's educate these athletes so that they can take advantage of the time that they do have. So that those 98% of kids that don't make it to the NBA or the NFL, they do not become like like you and I, Brian. Like when we when we graduated school, we just had our, our, our degrees, right? These young men and women have more than we did when they, when they leave school. They should be ahead of us. They should be getting jobs over people like us. And, and they should be moving into industries that they love and being influential right off the bat. Because of the the equity that they've built in their names before they left, whether they were the star or not, whether they were the in the starting lineup or not, they're still athletes and every athlete is an influencer.
1: Have you seen cases where schools of the star athlete or pro sports teams of the star athlete are not supportive of their social media efforts. Is there ever any, oh, I wish that person would just get off of social media or I don't really care to support their efforts on social media. Obviously, the people like LeBron and Odell Beckham Jr., they enhance their team's social media because sometimes they have bigger followers than the team does. But starting at those lower levels, have you ever seen examples where, uh, let's just say the athlete isn't set up to succeed through their team or their school?
0: Well, I think there's two opportunities. I think one, it's it's education. I don't know a single school uh, general student body or student athletes that are truly taught how to build a personal brand. And I'm not talking about resume classes and interview classes and, and how to get an internship. I'm talking about truly understanding how to build a personal brand that breaks through, that becomes something that people demand and that they're fighting over. That doesn't happen, and that's a huge myth. I wish I had that in school. That would have saved me probably five years off of, of my brain development, but it, it's just not happening at, happening at schools. I think that's a massive, massive opportunity. And the school, and I keep saying this, and I'll continue to preach it through, through social, and there'll, there'll be some stuff that'll be coming out here soon for me that I think will, will help impact some of this, but the schools that start to change this, and they actually build resources for these young men and women within their their athletic departments to teach them how to build brands, those are the schools that are going to win. Those are the schools that are going to attract these top athletes. Because why would I not choose a school that uh, comparatively is like the other four schools I have on my top five list, but this one is actually investing in building my personal brand. So whether I make it to the NBA or the NFL or not, I will be successful. And it's not just that I have a degree from X, Y, and Z university. It's that I have a degree and everybody knows who I am before I leave, before I I take a step off of this campus. Those are the schools that are going to win. I I think to your other question or or to the the other side of your question, I don't know specific schools and I wouldn't want to name them even if I, if I had them in my mind, but there are a number of schools that you read about and a number of, of instances where, Athletes are discouraged, especially in college, from using social media, especially during the season. And I think that's, again, that is is disheartening. I understand. I understand the worry. And I understand there's going to be some kids that do some things that, that don't go well on social media. But that's the world we live in. You're not going to avoid social media anymore. It's part of the, the, the landscape that we're in. And it will be forever. So don't avoid it. Just teach these young men and women how to use it to help themselves. I think one of the, the things that bothers me the most is there are these so-called social media classes that are given in in college, and all they are in most cases is what not to do. And if I'm an athlete, that's like that's like you and I going through health class and being taught about all of these things not to do, or or being in a class and saying, being taught don't drink and drive and, and, and seeing all these terrible photos. It's like, you don't need to patronize us. You don't need to condescend us. Just tell us what the advantages are to this space. Teach us how to use it to help ourselves. Teach us how to use these spaces to ensure that we are successful, not just for the purpose of the school, but for me. That's why I pay to go to this school, or that's why I chose your school and play football for you, or play basketball for you. As a general student and as an athlete, you go to school in order to find success after. That's the point of a university. And to not allow these young men and women to use social media and to teach them how to use it to benefit themselves, I think is is the complete opposite of the point of what a university is.
1: Jeremy, we've got a few minutes left. In your book, you point out the Kardashians, What can we learn from the Kardashians who have built an entire empire and are making piles of money from using social media?
0: I think that's what you can learn is that I think the Huffington Post said it and I put it in my book. The Internet is the new place for stardom. That's the Hollywood right now. There are so many insta famous people in this world. I think that we all need to recognize the power of of social media and as athletes especially you are no longer as an athlete at the beck and call of the media you can make your own media now you can be your own media outlet you don't have to wait for the the movie studio to come to you you can go make your own movie you can do something on youtube right that that's the point for me is that these tools these resources that are available to athletes and to all of us, really. But obviously, I'm speaking athletes. There's never been a point in our world history where you could become famous as quickly as you can now, and, and it's not to say. I think it's ridiculous when people talk bad and, and, and are discouraging on um, the Kardashians. They work hard. You know, I don't watch their show. I don't know a ton about them personally. I know some of the stories that are out there. But to, to, to say that they are, are not talented, I think, is ridiculous. How could they get to where they are without being talented? I mean, do people really think that, that, that none of this was planned? That, that what they're doing and where they are currently today, there was no model built to get there? I mean, I know that's not the case. I know their, their mom, Chris, she has had a plan. From the beginning, and she's fought to get the the family to where it is. And from the looks of it, from everything that I've seen here, they're doing just fine. And I think people need to give credit to that. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to like it. But at the end of the day, especially if you're an athlete, recognize how it was done. I tell people all the time, from the Ball family to the Kardashians, you don't have to like what they do. But as marketers and as people that are interested in building brands, take away that part of it. Just break it down, dissect it, understand how and why it worked and go off and use those tactics and those techniques in a way that you are proud of, in a way that you, you can respect yourself. If, if you don't like how they're doing it, do it differently, but take those learnings and build something else. Go build your own brand. But to, to not pay attention to what they've done and to not consider all of the things that they've used in their advantage, the strategies, the tactics, the techniques. To not pay attention to those, I think that's a disservice to yourself, and it's a huge mistake.
1: Jeremy, one of the other parts of your book that I found really fascinating, and I think people struggle with it, is how often should I be posting on social media? So you have a chapter called Your Voice. You talk about consistency and frequency, and uh before you start talking, draw a map. Can you explain that? Because I think a lot of people, you know, hey, should I be posting 10 times a day? Should I post once a day? Do I post once a week? Is there any kind of a science or rhythm to how much you should be posting on social media? What's acceptable to audiences?
0: I think audiences audiences will, will accept uh, relevant content, no matter how much there is. I think they're, they're, but my philosophy on developing a brand, one of my, my key points is it's about consistency and frequency. You have to have both. You can't just have one consistency, meaning you have to say the same thing over and over again. I'm not saying usually using the same exact sentence every time, but if, if Damian Lillard is about fusing music and basketball, then I need to see that constantly, right? He needs to to bring that idea up over and over and over again. I need that consistent message that he is not just a basketball player, that he is also a, a very talented musician. And then, there's the frequency. I need to see it a lot. I need to see it everywhere. I need to see it in social. I need to see it in interviews. I need to see it in print. I need to see it in billboards. I need to see it everywhere. You need consistency and frequency in order for an idea to stick, and that's how brands are built. It's just it, marketing is not that difficult, Brian. You know that. You, you, you and I have talked about marketing. We've had discussions. It's common sense. I will remember somebody's name probably the third or fourth time that I've heard it. I forget it the first time, right? A lot of people are like that. We need to see stuff and see, hear and see things over and over again in order for them to stick in our minds. So if you're thinking about social, just recognize that it's not about just being out there and talking for the sake of talking. It's about talking about the one thing that you are differentiated by and the one piece of value that you add. That is what Damian Lillard has done. That is what a lot of these athletes that, that you remember still today have done they've picked a lane and they've focused on that and you remember them for it.
1: That's great advice. Jeremy Darlow, the author of the book athletes or brands too. You can get it on amazon.com. It's in bookstores, Jeremy, anything else that uh, people should know about your new book or, or what you have going on?
0: I will just give you a, a quick tease that the book is going to be, uh, is not going to be the last thing that's coming, uh, in the next few weeks. So I, I think for me, again, this, this movement is is very important, and I want to be able to use the experience that I have and the education that I have to hopefully, to, to help these athletes, uh, whether they make it to the league or not, become successful in life.
1: Well, it's greatly needed. I'm glad to see you doing it. You know, I think you do bring up a great point that, you know, it's not just about the pitfalls that exist with social media. I know that a lot of the teams that we work with, they're so afraid of that one you know, nuclear post on social media that could ruin the athlete's brand or their brand. It's teaching them this is how you can use social media to their advantage and showing them athletes like you mentioned, Damian Lillard, who played at Weber State. No one really heard of him and look at how he has used to social media to become a global brand. So I think there's a lot of great points, very, uh applicable points in your book that if people read it they can apply it to real life thank you so much for joining us on sports business radio and we'll catch up with you soon
0: i appreciate brian thank you
1: you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back reserve your spot for the 2018 sports pr summit presented by the players tribune on tuesday may 22nd at the players tribune headquarters in new york city the sports pr summit brings together elite athletes national media members, and senior PR and social media executives for panel discussions, featured conversations, and networking opportunities. The event allows PR execs to lead with a better understanding of the elite athletes, owners, commissioners, and national media people they're working with. The event also allows attendees to see Derek Jeter's one-of-a-kind digital publishing company, the Players' Tribune, up close, as well as network with top Players' Tribune executives. Past Sports PR Summit speakers include NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, NASCAR legend Jeff Gordon, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, NFL stars Anquan Bolden and Demarcus Ware, Cleveland Cavaliers all-star Isaiah Thomas, WNBA legend Lisa Leslie, ESPN reporters Tom Rinaldi and Jeremy Schaap, and Sports Illustrated executive editor and 60 Minutes correspondent John Wartime. The Sports PR Summit has sold out each of its first five years, and there are only 125 spots. Reserve your spot today by going online to sportsprsummit.com. Follow the Sports PR Summit on Twitter and Instagram at sportsprsummit. I hope to see you on May 22nd at the Players' Tribune in New York City. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course, at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at SportsBusinessRadio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.